talking about you, Ray Barboni, owning a piece of a major motion picture. How much of a piece is entirely up to you? What I'm saying is you could invest part of the 300 grand that Palmer owes you or all of it. It's entirely up to you. Where's Chili Palmer? Where's Leo DeVoe? Where's my fucking money? Ray, look at me. What? Look at me, Ray. Did you just say look at you? <laughs> look at me, Ray. I tell you what, Harry. Why don't you take a fucking look at this? And have a peek at this. You know, Harry, this is the exact fucking thing I needed. A little fucking exercise after that long fucking plane ride. Did you know that the smog is the fucking reason LA has such beautiful fucking sunsets? Hello and welcome to the Point 10 Podcast. I'm Derek Gottlieb. Winston Thompson and Andy Carlson join us once again, this time to talk about 1995's Get Shorty, which stars an impossible murderer's row of acting talent. John Travolta, Rene Russo, Gene Hackman, Delroy Lindo, James Gandolfini, Danny DeVito, and Dennis Farina. Let's get to it. So great to see you guys after, I mean, the two of you, it's been a couple of months now together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So nice to be back together again. Absolutely. (sighs) Talking about 1995's Get Shorty. This is one of several movies that, you know, we have on our uh, limited list, but I, I thought it would be fun to do a movie that was cool at the time and that like mm. had sort of dropped out of like this movie i i don't have a good memory myself of having seen this for the first time i know i saw it in theaters and then, I, then the minute it was out on video it was a, a regular sort of viewing experience you know being in high school it was like I, I don't know what drew me to this movie in this way or like what part of that coolness resonated but i guess that's what we're uh here to find out do either of you have particular memories of this movie and seen it for the first time? Winston, do you? No. So, so, um, I don't have a recollection of seeing this film for the first time. And on this watch, I was surprised, you know, just to kind of retrace the, the chronology of, of, of the film and just, you know, thinking about uh, a film that we've discussed previously with uh, uh, John Travolta. I was just trying to sort of locate this uh, on, on the Travolta timeline. And, you know, it just didn't seem to me like a 1995 movie. And I think mm-hmm. for me, I think I might have partially been remembering the sequel, uh, uh, Be Cool, right. that comes out like... 10 years later or something. Yeah. I mean, just so, so when I, when I returned to this and I, I realized, okay, no, this is, you know, 95 Travolta's kind of just coming off of Pulp Fiction. Um, you know, there's actually for me, another Elmore Leonard, uh, adapted film that sort of figures into this, this kind of picture with, uh, Tarantino's, um, Jackie Brown, which is, you know, pro- I think, perhaps my favorite Tarantino film and uh, my favorite uh, Elmore Leonard 
adaptation. Um, so all of that was kind of in the back of my mind as I was thinking about this film on this watch and realizing that I'd probably only seen Get Shorty like once before. Hmm. Uh, it, it does not occupy that kind of you know, space in my life is kind of a, a, a film that's kind of a comfort film, ritualistic watching uh, again and again. Yeah. Totally. Andy? Um, I don't remember a f- uh, first time uh, having watched it. Um, <clears throat> I do remember that it was one of those movies that when it came out, it seemed like there was not much else out that rated. And so I probably saw it in the theaters like eight times. Uh, oh, like, wow. <laughs> consecutive okay. weeks. It was just like... What do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? Oh, let's watch a movie. What's out? I'll get shorties out. Okay. Like, <laughs> I'm voiced then, too like, in that dialogue, you know, by the way. A dozen times at sleepovers. Sure. And, you know, it was, um, it's a movie that I've seen an awful lot. Um, and yeah, you know, just thinking about like that John Travolta timeline, um, you know, this is only two years after uh, Look Who's Talking Now. Uh, which, you know, look who's talking kind of was, I think Travolta's, everybody wow. talks about Pulp Fiction, but look who's talking was the springboard yeah. that brought Travolta back into the consciousness in the, uh, in the 1990s. Um, holy moly, does this movie whip ass. I just can't, I just loved, <laughs> loved every second of it. Even like yeah. watching it with the sound off and the closed captioning on at double speed while I'm cooking dinner for the kids to try to like, oh, but God, it just, every scene is just like a whip crack. It's so fun. Yeah. Yeah. And the less said about the sequel, the better. Yeah. I don't know if there's a bigger fall off from like original document to sequel than between Get Shorty and Be Cool. What a steaming pile that movie was. (laughs) It really speaks to how, like, what kind of like lightning in a bottle, you know, get shorty was everything had to go exactly right tonally line wise scene construction wise casting had to be perfect because be cool misses by like not that much on each one of those things and the totality of it is an absolute unwatchable disaster i like the two things that i really remember standing out in uh get shorty from that time are like the soundtrack which like which was and is phenomenal. And just I bought like, that soundtrack. I had it on CD. Yeah. I oh, I remember. Without, uh, <laughs> you know, prompting. I would be like, I'm in the car. I'm going to listen to the Get Shorty soundtrack. And the particular kinds of like, the particular, there was a way in which, especially Ray Barboni's character, mm-hmm. just gave you lines that were, that were so perfect for like, uh, whatever, 15 or 16 year old me, like, no, 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 fuck you, fuckball. That was perfect. What a perfect, like, little two second rebuttal. Sure. <laughs> the phrase, the Cadillac of minivan, still runs through my head every time I <laughs> just like once a week at least. Uh, it's, yeah. This is also the movie that introduced me, speaking personally, to. Uh, Delroy Lindo and uh, as an actor and like it wasn't sure. until after this movie that I started noticing how many things he's in I mean he's fantastic in this movie he's fantastic yeah. in like Spike Lee's uh, The Five Bloods and like everything in between I was just like I was like I've never seen this man before and he is outstanding yeah absolutely I mean yeah so so Delroy Lindo um, I mean 
Yeah. So, well, firstly, as, you know, a Jamaican-American person, uh, seeing, you know, as a child, seeing the name Delroy Lindo, which is like the most Jamaican of Jamaican names, um, you know, and recognizing later on, of course, that he's, uh, you know, British-born and so forth. It, it just, but yeah, but... Uh, the work that he does in this film and in other films, I mean, he just, uh, is, is, is a standout. Just, um, as you say, I mean, he shines in everything that he's in and he's one of those folks who just kind of slides under the radar often. But once you become attuned to his presence, uh, you just, uh, yeah, your, your eyes just, uh, sort of gravitate towards him. Uh, and in this film, he's just, you know, kind of, I mean, his character, uh, uh, is this kind of, um, you just want to know more about him. You want to know more about his backstory. I mean, how is it that he's in the limo business with this other guy? And, um, you know, they seem to be so unequally kind of, uh, positioned, uh, in their partnership. Uh, he wants to make this move, uh, into, you know, into film. It's it, it, the whole, the, the, the whole thing is just, um, yeah, uh, generative and interesting, uh, in a way that Delroy Lindo really pulls off well just that whole quality of, you know, this character that, you know, could be just like a simple thug or, you know, just this kind of a tough. Um, And, you know, not only does, does Lindo, he he brings like dignity and, you know, and, you know, appropriate menace to the role, but there's also, um, you know, he, he kind of isn't afraid to like give him a little bit of a comical edge too, which I thought was really interesting. You know, he's, yeah. he's, he's not the, you know, just like everybody else in this movie, he's not the man he thinks he is, you know? Yeah. And, right. Yeah. He's sort of chasing this aspiration and, you know, the whole scene where uh, he's talking about how to doctor a script, um, you know, it's just like, yeah. you yeah. just add in all the commas later. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, I know some of those like, words were misspelled and hardly had any commas at all. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm, I feel like I'm not, not quite capturing the, the quality of it, but he just, um, it's, it just feels like such a tightrope of a, of a role to, you know, to kind of, uh, sort of navigate the, 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 the menace in the comedy and, you know, to hold on to the core of the character. I just, he was just spellbinding. It's like Chili Pump, John Travolta's character, Chili Palmer. He's, small time he's a shylock he's from miami he's coming out to la to like do a favor for a guy he's doing like he just like he ends up out there and he's just like he's going to make his move and go into the movies and everything is easy for him and he knows like the authentic way to be sort of tough and whatever and to be intimidating etc there's something really okay the most off-putting moment off-putting is strong the moment in the movie that i wish had gone differently is the moment mm. in which uh Delroy Lindo's character, whose name I can't even Bo Bo Cat. That's right. Catlett, yeah. Bo Catlett is sitting behind Gene Hackman's desk. It's that moment where they're sort of like where he's making the offer to be like, look, we you and I could do this together, Chili Palmer. We could just like we don't need any of these people. And I'm like, that's a movie I would watch. That would be a good mm-hmm. sequel. And to watch like John Travolta's character just be like, what the fuck do I need you for? Was 
it like it felt sour when I was 16 and it still feels a little bit that way. I think we're supposed to be like, well, Delroy Lindo is the bad guy, clearly. But, you know, the actor and the character, to a certain extent, is so charismatic up to that point that it was like, yeah, that's all. And is, is, you know, John Travolta's character really that good of a guy? So that's yeah, right. So, yeah, that's interesting, right? I mean, so there's a way in which I think one could could come to these characters um, with the language of good and bad, you know, right and wrong, sort of, uh, yeah, uh, uh, vicious and virtuous, right? But I think the, the main virtue of Chili Palmer is that he is self-aware and he's, he's comfortable with who he is uh, to some extent. And I think uh, what we're meant to sort of recognize in that moment when they're, you know, um, when, when Bo Catlett uh, is making this offer is that Catlett is not comfortable with himself and uh, Chili Palmer's, the character of Chili Palmer uh, detects that. And, and distances himself from that, right? Huh. Uh, Palmer's looking for this authenticity that uh, Catlett can't offer. And we see this later on when Catlett, um, you know, so in the film, he's got this, uh, this sort of, uh, 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 Guy named Bear, played by uh, James Gandolfini, uh, this you know former stuntman who's now this heavy for him, right? Um, and you recognize that the French that there was never a friendship there, there was never love there, right? He's, he 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 threatens him, he uh, uh, um, uses yeah, right. exactly right. So so you realize that he's a you know he's always he is in this moment, but he's always been a user. Yeah. And you, you can contrast that with, with Chili, right? Who only, you know, early on he says, only say as much as you need to say, right? right. Uh, he implies that you only, you know, rough someone up as much as you need to rough them up, right? No more, no less. You apologize afterwards, um, particularly in his conversations with Bear, you know, throwing him down the stairs, punching him, et cetera. Uh, it's never personal. Um, so anyway, I think that there's just this, this, this tension between two, uh, depictions of what it means to be, um, yeah, maybe there's, you know, maybe it's what it is to be a, a man in business, uh, because you also hear Chili, the character of Chili Palmer, often saying, is this how you do business, yeah. right? Uh, uh, suggesting that there's a lack of honor in that intentions uh, are at cross purpose. So, yeah. That is such a great read on, uh, on, on that. <laughs> I love that. Uh, you know, and just... Um, <clears throat> The movie, it's so seductive the way the movie just like, you know, you just absolutely, you know, and I mean, chalk it up to like John Travolta's incredible charisma and like razor sharp yeah. haircut, you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. He, just, he has a gravity in the film. Like he just, he is unquestionably, uh, you know, everything else in the movie orbits around him. Um you know, and it's it's just this very attractive, you know, myth of like the you know the virtuous mobster, the the you know the the good you know the good man adrift in the uh, sea of iniquities. Right. It's yeah. The, it's the sort of possibility of you know, like so many masculine movie characters, we know because of the job that he does that he is done tremendously violent things in the past we know that this is something he's capable of and he's arrived at this point like where our story starts where this is just a a perennial possibility just a set of potentialities that he's only going to unleash 
to a limited extent and only to the extent that is absolutely required by the situation that he's in. He's not going to kill Ray Bones. He's just going to break his nose and get his jacket back, right? He's not going to like, he's not going to destroy Bear. He's just going to incapacitate him and then ask him about what movies he's been in. Yeah. Uh, so like you have you have and he's the only one who can sort of pull it off. We watch like he he does that look at me line so often. I thought that was so fucking cool when I was 16. That's yeah. like I'm like I wonder what he's doing exactly. When he tries to describe it to Danny DeVito's character like it I was like, "Oh, is that what that was about? That's weird." Like the the verbal sort of description of like I own you asshole, you're mine asshole yeah. or whatever that is. I was like that is not at all what I was getting from any of that. Anyway, uh Gene Hackman tries to pull that off. Various people try to be like, try to be like Chile and they can't and they fail and he reveals them as frauds. I mean, I'll tell you one of the things that was on my mind as I was doing this rewatch, I don't know when I realized this, but Chili Palmer is a producer on this movie. Chili Palmer mm-hmm. is a real dude. Chili Palmer shows up in like the very first scene, like when Ray Bones and his two henchmen like walk over and like do that thing. Chili Ernest Chili Palmer is one of the henchmen. <laughs> like, I was like, yeah. I'm like, is this like it, it's hard to now? I was sort of like, I was like, is this, you know, the apogee of charisma and authenticity or is this the the most glaringly self-serving kind of narrative that like we can be or portrait that we can be looking at and that was yeah that was hard for me to parse on the rewatch like i literally just don't know because like the minute like you the minute i took my eye off of that particular fact then i was just swept up into the movie again and being like oh obviously chili palmer is awesome obviously he's gonna end up with renee russo well and just that first you know that First, that five-minute opening is just so tight. I mean, yeah, it just every you know what is a what's Danny DeVito's line like? You know, he just found the core of the thing and just like wound it up, and the thing just played itself. Like that happens in you know before yeah, the yeah, credits exactly. Uh, yeah, the it just is such a miraculous little device of a movie because it just you want it it gets wound up, the credits roll, and then it just plays out. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's also for me, you know, part of what makes Elmore Leonard uh, stories kind of run. Right. I mean, it, he, it, yes. it's it's often the case that they're just character driven and you get introduced to these characters. You understand these characters and they're on paths and you can tell that their paths are going to intersect and they're going to collide. They're going to crash and it's going to be a mess. It's going to be spectacular. Uh and the story is about how that happens, how that unfolds. I think this film, you know, what I, what I love about what you say, Derek, uh, regarding, um, the, uh, uh, the fact that the real Chili Palmer is here is that, of course, the film ends with this, you know, uh, very subtle, um, transition to the film in a film, right? We're, we're watching yes. the action play out yes. and, you know, we see Ray Bones character go to this, uh, uh, for those who haven't, who aren't aware, I'm not going to 
be able to describe the entire plot of the film. But effectively, all you need to know now is that this character is going to uh, to be set up right uh, at this airport, and we're we're kind of leaning forward because we're imagining that you know Ray Bones is about to um, you know be be arrested, and when he turns around, it's Harvey Keitel, and we realize, oh wait, this is the story. You know, now being made into a film produced by Chili Palmer. And then you have this moment of saying, well, wait a second, I'm watching this story produced by Chili Palmer. You know, it's turtles all the way down, right? Like this is the, the this is like, you know, a, a Charlie Kaufman sort of. You know, adaptation um, uh, story about its its own creation, um, and it's 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 lovely. I mean, you know, watching you know over the years, having watched all of these Elmore Leonard uh, adaptations and read these you know short stories and novels, you know, my mind had always gone to you know how how does he know so much about what it is to be a criminal, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, about uh, about this world and discovering that, you know, he's actually close friends with this, uh, with, with the real Chili Palmer, you know, kind of made the pieces connect in a, in a really interesting way. So, um, yeah, just again, just to underline the point that you make, Derek, about, uh, you know, the real producer here. Yeah. I love that, man, that, that the final scene in which you've got Danny DeVito's character playing uh playing Chili Palmer essentially as Harvey Keitel yeah. is playing Ray Bones <clears throat> the the little detail that I had not noticed on the first viewing is how ridiculous Danny DeVito's gun is it's like something sure. straight out yeah. of Total Recall or something it was it, that's I was right like, I was like this is unnecessary I wonder if this is just a commentary on like movie making in general that's all. Yeah. So, you know, you tried to dodge this earlier, but I, this is one mm. of the absolute highlights of every time that we get together to do something in which in which you need to bring our viewers, our listeners in yeah. to the movie that we're talking about, in which you try to like, well, you're like, here's the plot, everybody. So I, I'd love to. Uh, to. I mean, yeah. I, I have I have no idea if we're going to make it to the end of this uh, this telling. But uh, for those who have not seen Get Shorty, effectively, uh, as Derek suggested, uh, we follow the character of Chili Palmer, a uh, uh, you know a guy who works for the outfit in Miami. Uh, he's tracking someone down to get three hundred thousand dollars that's owed uh, to uh, uh, to the mob. Uh, on his way there, he gets embroiled in uh, another issue with the, this director owes a casino some money. He's pursuing that. He discovers that there's a film to be made. He sees an opportunity. He gets into the into the movie making business. Um, I guess that's the easiest uh, <laughs> way of describing. I mean, I'm leaving out. Another five hundred thousand dollars. I'm leaving out some Colombian, uh, you know, uh, drug smuggling. There are a lot of moving pieces here. In you know, typical uh, Elmore Leonard kind of narrative fashion, they're just you know characters who are in their own story. Yeah, and their story intersects with the story that we're watching, right? Because we never again see you know what's going on at the uh, at the casino, and we never again hear about the money that's owed to the casino. We ne- like we don't know what happens to this uh, laundromat or dry cleaning uh, <laughs> owner, right? Like yeah, Leo DeVoe, right? I mean, right. there are all these kind of pieces um, that 
that just make the whole thing feel so true to life um, because you really get the sense that instead of just having characters that are kind of bit players in this narrative, they are main characters in their own story and you're hungry for more of that story, yeah. even if you don't get it. And one thing that I think is really um, uh, <laughs> that the movie leverages that really well uh, with is um, – these sort of little moments of violence that are sprinkled into the narrative. And that because all of these characters are so inhabited, uh, they really carry a lot of weight. Um, God, you know, you know, especially they all seem to involve, uh, you know, Ray bones, but sure. When he assaults Faye, Leo DeVoe's wife. I mean, that is a moment where all of a sudden we're not in like, you know, hey, cool, fun mobsters, you know, we're just like, oh, shit, there's consequences. Yeah, yeah. that was shocking yeah. to me on this rewatch. Like that moment, I was like, oh, Jesus. Like I, I suddenly didn't remember that. And the way that like Ray Bones is such like he's played as such a uh, he's played as such a buffoon for most of the time. I mean, that actor who's Dennis Farina. Yeah. Farina, yeah. Like, I don't know what what. What happened to this poor man to like make him play the mobster who's on the wrong end of mobstering constantly. But like, he just like, so much of him is just a joke. He thinks he's tougher than he is. He thinks he's more important than he is. He's trying to hold this over Chili Palmer. Chili Palmer has no problem dispatching him. And then you just watch him do his actual mobster shtick to somebody who's not a mobster. And it's just, it's brutal. And then he's like, he's just, I mean, you watch this uh, with Faye. You watch it also with Gene Hackman's character, which is not like. Yeah, Harry. Yeah, that doesn't, the the beating of Harry Zim doesn't have, carry quite the same sort of emotional weight as like the instant violence. And then like, I want us to be friends or whatever the line is that he says, like, and friends don't lie to each other. So tell me what the fuck is going on or whatever. And like. You've got, like, he's still playing Roy Bones as a buffoon, but this is a buffoon who is capable of using violence, and the other person he's talking to is just not in a position to hold him to account in the way that, you know, our hero is. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's, that's, that's right. I, I'll also add to that, you know, uh, just, again, thinking about this film's... Um, uh, a focus on authenticity, right? Again, the focus on authenticity that is the film within the film and then the question for us as we're watching the film. But then there's this, this question about authenticity again when, you know, uh, when Harry, uh, the director, uh, calls Ray Bones and Ray Bones says, you know, who is this? I'm the one who's telling you, you know, how, how it's going to be. I'm the one who's telling you how it is, he says, right? Which is a line that he borrows from, uh, uh, from Chili earlier, right? When he does the look at me, right? Again, right? Bones recognizes this and he leans forward. He's like, what did, what did you say to me? Like, what, what, what are you trying? Okay. I see what's going on here, right? And in that moment, right? It, it's as though, uh, the character of Ray Bones realizes that he's dealing with someone who's who's engaged in a fraud, right? So we're watching Ray Bones and we think, well, he's playing at being the big man, right? 
but Ray Bones is watching Harry playing at being the big man. Yep. Uh, and of course, because of his insecurity, uh, uh, Ray Bones' insecurity, he then responds with violence, right? To assert himself as the real big man. But we, the audience, know neither of you are the big man, right? The big man here is Chili Palmer, who, you know, can't act in this way towards Ray Bones because of the hierarchy of the mob and so forth. But, but we get, again, this, this kind of, this dance about authenticity uh, and the insecurity of these characters uh, kind of coming to the, to, the, to the fore as they realize that they're not quite who they claim to be or who they want to be. Um, they're sort of posturing um, and sort of uh, presenting themselves uh, in a grandiose fashion. So, yeah. Well, the, um, you know, and, and for authenticity to be, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the source of power, you know, the, because, yeah. you know, this is all about power relationships and power dynamics. And, um, <laughs> just the, it, may, it makes me think of the scene where, uh, they're in Danny DeVito's mansion and, you know, he's doing his little like hand rubbing, you know, method acting shtick. <laughs> Just the looks that Rene Russo and John Travolta exchange are so precious, yeah. you know, and, and it's, um, you know, in uh, Danny, in Danny DeVito's character who, you know, in a, in it's brilliant how many little, like he's on the cover of every magazine in the airport gift shop, you know, mm-hmm. people are reading his like autobiography that, you know, I mean, he's on billboards. Like he, they do such a great job of just kind of like setting you in, setting you in that world. And, you know, the, you think that like, oh, I mean, and he should be the, you know, he's, he's the, um, the MacGuffin. He's what all the action is rotating around. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. But he is so interchangeable. You know, if it wasn't him, it would be somebody else because he has no authenticity, he has no core. He has no real power. He's just, um, a marionette being played by this system, uh, you know, and being, being the strings are pulled by, by the producers and, you know, Chili Palmer, uh, understands that, uh, and I think intuitively and, uh, clearly never wants to be an actor as much as he enjoys the end product of the films. Yeah. And I just want to just, just note, and I think that that's absolutely right, Andy. And I, I really want to note, uh, what you say, that last line that you said there about uh, his enjoyment, right? I think it's important for the film that we get that moment of seeing him in the movie theater um, in an unguarded moment where he thinks that no one is around. And of course, uh, the character of uh, uh, Karen Flores, played by Rene Russo, uh, sort of slips in and observes him and, you know, she falls in love with him I guess, in that moment. And we as the audience get, you know, um, a kind of a, a confirmation of our affection for him because he's a true movie, uh, movie lover, right? And so we as the audience then, uh, feel connected to him because, um, he, there's, there's something about the magic of film, uh, that enchants him, uh, and makes him worthy of, you know, 
being a producer on, on, on a film in a way that someone like, you know, Bo Catlett, uh, who is working with this, you know, stuntman and, and disregards, you know, uh, uh, that expertise and so forth, uh, doesn't love film, right? And, and, and therefore is unworthy to be involved in this process. So again, there's this authenticity, this alignment of values, alignment of interests, um, that's at play here, um, as we get presented with a vision of Chili Palmer as a person who knows who he is, knows what he wants, knows what he likes, knows his limits, um, and is acting uh, in his, in you know, in some ways, in his true purpose. So, in a movie where "Look at me" might as well be the tagline for the entire film. I mean, the whole movie rotates around this notion of you know, perceiving and being perceived, and you know what is conveyed with uh, with the the look. And in the moment when Chili, Chili Palmer, for as far as he knows, is being observed by absolutely nobody, he is transported. He is completely swept away. He is so involved. He is re- reciting every line as it's spoken. And in, you know, I love this because I just, there's something about, about me in that moment where the movie ends and he like reaches up, like reaches forward to like tap the guy in front of him on the shoulder and say, wasn't that great? And the guy doesn't yeah. give a shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but, but Chili Palmer doesn't care that he doesn't give a shit because it was so great. And whether that guy knows it or not, they shared a, a you know, a film watching experience. And that yeah. like, I, you know, I mean, it's been said that, uh, you know, the Oscar, the, the Academy loves, you know, awarding Oscars to movies about movies. And sure. like, I don't know if there's a better, like for me is if, in terms of like movies about movies, like this is up there with singing in the rain, like as, mm. as like a love letter to Hollywood and to the, 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 the different professions that, that come together to make a movie in service of that moment where you like reach up and like tap a stranger on the shoulder to say, wasn't yeah. that great. But also a testament to like, the, Absolutely. Know, Karen, Karen Flores' whole character is like she's been in whatever slime creatures two and three. There's a there's a lot of her character, Bear's character, these you get the sense that like they had higher aspirations than they have achieved. They make Hollywood work. So like the the vision of Hollywood that this movie is showing to Hollywood is recognizable to anyone who has worked in the movies professionally, but is not simultaneously the image that Hollywood would want to project publicly. So there's, that's like a weird little dance that this movie has to, has to do. It's like, I don't know. I don't know if it's like this. I'm just going to make this little analogy. It's, it's a little bit like HBO's veep in the sense that like Mm. literally everybody I've, met who works in Washington and policy and what kind of thing is, is like, Oh yes, I'm this character. Or like we have a Dan in my office or whatever. Like the character types are so recognizable to people. And yet it is like the least possible flattering portrait of, you know, how stuff works. So thinking about these ideas that you have brought up about authenticity, about, um, about the look at me and like what happens when people are not being perceived. Let me ask you a question or pose a question to both of you about Danny DeVito's character, which I think you, you, Andy, accurately described as the MacGuffin around which all of this revolves. He's not saying, look at me, but you can't avoid it because he's everywhere. 
So he's, he's never the character who tries to draw your attention to him. He also wields power in a similarly um, irresponsible way to the way that Bo Catlett does. And irresponsible in the sense that he doesn't give a shit about the people that he's wielding power over or, like, to know them at all or cares about what they're interested in. This is – I'm getting this from the scene in which he orders, like, a disgusting egg white yeah. homely and frappes for everybody at the table despite the fact that nobody and wants it. And then walks away. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> comes. So, like – how does that all fit in with this larger thing that we're talking about, basically? Well, let me just jump in quickly um, to say that my understanding is that the character of Martin Weir, played by Danny DeVito, um, was inspired by Elmore Leonard's uh, meetings with um, with Dustin Hoffman. Um, that apparently oh he just found du- Dustin Hoffman to be uh, so self-important that he thought, okay, you're you're in the book. Um, so 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 I think that there's you know just again to the point that you make about kind of the truth of Hollywood. I do think that there is a um, there's a tension in a character like this between on the one hand. You know, he's sort of regarded as a good actor here. It seems that he cares about the work, the craft. He cares about the art. But he's so focused on that that he misses everyone else around him, right? I mean, he's sort of, uh, he's not reading social cues from, uh, Karen Flores, who is his ex-wife. Um, you know, he's kind of flirting with her in this kind of, uh, unseemly way, at least to me, unseemly sure. way. He's, uh, disregarding, you know, what's going on around him at the, at the restaurant. Why yeah. Did we break up. What happened to us? You fucked yeah. Nikki at my birthday party. Oh yeah. That was it's, a great party. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Just completely, completely, you know, in his own, in his own world, right? Uh, uh, socially, uh, morally, ethically. Um, but we're led to believe that, you know, that he's actually a, a good actor. He cares about the craft. He's, he's doing the work. So, so I guess w- what I would just wanted to say here is that, um, on this, in this, as it relates to this question of authenticity, maybe, maybe that is the authentic him, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. that, it's that he's an actor. He's portraying roles. Um, we're never meant to, to, you know, celebrate the person. We're only meant to celebrate who he can become in the service of the stories that he tells. Um, and maybe he knows that about himself as well. I'm not, I'm, I'm less sure about that last part. Um, right. but, uh, yeah, yeah. I kind of think the movie tells us uh, who he is. Hmm. I think the movie tells us that he is John Travolta. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He is, um, <clears throat> you know, he, he he's the center of the film. He's, you know, he's the MacGuffin. Yeah. He's, you know, but on some level, he is as disposable as that duffel bag full of cash in the airport. Um, mm. You know, and I mean, mm-hmm. look at, the arc of John Travolta's career, which, you know, basically comprised like, I don't know, five years in the late seventies and early eighties, and then the decade in the nineties, and then battlefield earth happened and wiped him from the public consciousness, you know, and yeah. it's yeah, like, right. you know, in this film, in the universe of this film, like, you know, Martin Weir's battlefield earth is, you know, 
<laughs> dang, you know, it's this, this sword of Damascus dangling over his head. And, you know, at some point he will be absolutely, um, he will be more forgotten than, you know, Orson Welles. Uh, he'll, he'll just be a footnote. Orson Welles, <laughs> obviously the star of the film that John Travolta that is they were watching. watching. Yeah. yeah. Touch of evil. I, still sh- I haven't huh. seen that movie. I ought to see that movie. Yeah, John Travolta likes it. <laughs> I'm sorry, Chili Palmer likes it. <laughs> yeah. I think it um, you know, we're kind of swimming in like the deep waters and I I just want to make sure to you know, this is just such a there's so much fun in this movie. Like, okay, you know, questions of like who is, you know, really Martin Weir aside. It is hilarious like the little asides of like the movies that they say he was in that he was so great in. Um, <laughs> sure. It's like the little, you know, it's like there's a part of me that, you know, I, I want to see Slime Creatures too. I want to see all these movies. And like, you know, it just, uh, it, there's it, just to kind of hear everybody kind of, uh, it's, there's just such joy in the, in the doing of the, of the thing uh, that I, and in the music. Uh, yeah, I mentioned earlier that I I had the soundtrack and like, good God, is that a? It's just got, got such. <sighs> ironically, um, you know, for the sequel to be about you know Chili Palmer right. trying to make it in the music industry and to have such god awful music, um, in my recollection, I only saw it once. I couldn't couldn't stand to go there again. But sure, um, you know, to be in the um, <clears throat> just to. That those sort of the, those grooves and like the little you know horn horn um, horn fills and everything's just got this effortless jazzy cool that just serves the the flow of the movie so well. It just gives it this 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 energetic quality that I just um, it's just delightful. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that fits really nicely with the character of Chili Palmer, right? I mean, so. So Palmer is presented to us, the audience, again, as this kind of authentic man who knows who he is. We never actually see him. Maybe there's one exception. Um, but, uh, and this exception is the moment where, uh, he's in that, he's in, uh, Rene Russo's, uh, uh, Karen Flores's home, uh, and Bo Catlett, uh, uh, enters and, uh, points a gun at him. He seems calm and cool. Uh, but then he points, uh, the gun at Karen. Um, and, uh, this occurs while Chili Palmer is on the ground. Uh, and that's the only moment in the film that I can think of where he seems sort of to have any heightened emotion, to be kind of stressed out, out of, con- not, he's not even out of control. He just seems to really care about what's going on, right? He yells out, Karen, right? Um, in a way that's probably you know, as unguarded as he was when he was in the, um, in the movie theater. But in every other moment, he seems to kind of be, you know, hearing a kind of, uh, you know, a rhythm of the world, right? It's, 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 you know, he's encountering new people, um, some of whom, you know, seem to want to harm him, uh, but he never seems flustered by it. It's as though he himself is kind of living this, improvised kind of jazz like life where he's listening to the harmony, listening to the rhythm and he's just jumping in and he's just keeping up with it. Right. And I think 
that's at least for me that's that's why the um that's why the soundtrack really works because it just kind of it it sort of yeah it just kind of uh uh is an example of the way that we see this character showing up um there's never a discordant note um that he can't sort of weave into the into the harmony yeah Im- Im- improvisation and you know what's the what's the first rule of improv say yes yeah, that's right. <laughs> which 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 fits with his character so well in all of his interactions with even bit players, the owner of the casino and whatever. Like he's just on good terms with people. He can like knock the wind out of you and immediately be friends with you again. Like he's annoyed by Ray Bones and Ray Bones hates him, but that's different that like he still like they still understand each other with with respect to like whatever roles that they're playing and there's rules that like uh, structure their engagement so it's it seemed just infinitely possible for him to be like obviously karen would like him obviously like they would become sort of new producer power in la which is uh kind of crazy like that's the magnetism is precisely this sort of ability to improvise which is rooted in a sort of like an openness to new experiences and weirdly like uh a willingness to sort of To take people at their word or assume that there's something like worthwhile and dignified in whatever people are trying to do in a way that like you're trying to know it and understand it and not necessarily judge it and not necessarily, but sometimes maybe manipulate it to Mm -hmm. uh, your advantage. But either way, like he like he gets a bead on a character pretty quickly and is then able to be like, okay, I will be able to predict what that person is going to do in this situation, in these ridiculous situations that keep conspiring. And that like allows me to stay relatively cool because I know I basically know what's going to happen. It's yeah. That first scene where, um, you know, where Bo Catlett and Bear and Ronnie show up at uh, Harry Zim's office and he says, okay, I'm going to sit here. You don't introduce me. You don't say anything. I I will talk. And then like, you know, you you stand back there, and Harry Zim like fucks every aspect of it up, like worse than you could. <laughs> it's just like he yes, didn't so. do a single thing right, and yeah, you know, and I mean, the and I think the virtue that or the <clears throat> what what makes the the you know the character of Chili Palmer so attractive is that there's this virtuous quality of uh of not just saying. You know, you're, you're you're such a schmuck. I'm never going to talk to you again. Like he doesn't just like walk out the door. He uh, he says, "Okay, that was a setback. You're clearly an idiot, but we can still, you know, I can work with this." Uh, right. Like I, we were playing this game. I had set things yeah. up to go this way, and now that happened, and now we're playing like the okay. Here is the new set of conditions that we have to sort of deal with. And and what I love about that scene, because I was thinking of the exact same scene, Andy, and I'm glad that you mentioned it because um, it just shows how in control he is and how good of a reader he is of circumstances, right? Like, you know, um, earlier Harry says, you know, you don't know these guys. And he says, yeah, I, I know these guys better than you do, right? He's never met them before, yeah, yeah. but he, but, you know, from the, from the telling of it, he knows exactly what this is, right? He sees them coming in, he, he you know, says, right? Uh, when Harry messes everything up afterwards, you don't get uh, blame uh, from uh, from Chili, right? He doesn't say, you know, how could you do, you know, what 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 were you thinking, right? It's just this moment where he says, 
I guess I wasn't clear. I, yeah, I guess I, yeah, I thought I, I thought I told you. Okay. And then, and then it's that, 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 you know, that, uh, that pivot. But, um, yeah, but he's, again, he's just a character who seems, it's as though he's, he's, you know, he's read the script of all of, of, of the movie, right? And so he knows what's <laughs> going to happen. He knows who the characters are. Uh, and he shows up to play his part. Yeah. It, it's really, it's striking that like he doesn't need to yell. Like Harry Zim knows yeah. that he fucked up in exactly the ways that he fucked up. He don't like, yeah. leave and he, and, like you know, <laughs> it was, it's instructive to me, you know, as an educator, how, how you can sort of just be like, all right, well, we're going to move on from that. And like that, that can convey <laughs> everything that yeah. needs to be conveyed about the quality of what just happened. Yeah. 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 The, so like thinking about that as a, in contrast to Ray Bones, because like so much of the movie's fun and thank you for bringing that out. Uh, Andy is in that character because in a lot of ways he is like, chili palmer only he needs to make a big show of it like he's he's a much less secure chili palmer but that's also what makes all of his lines fun like okay so to contrast two scenes you've got the scene in which uh chili is talking to bo catlett and ronnie uh and both of them are talking at him and he's just like okay am i talking to you or am i talking to you like just like he's like let's just like cut through this bullshit and blah 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 Who's in charge here? Exactly. Yeah. And he's like, that's what I thought. <laughs> Great. And then they like are able to proceed. So like Chili Palmer just like, he's like, let me just redefine the situation that we're in and then we'll go from there. Contrast that to it's a cool moment, but it's not like a hilarious moment as opposed to when Ray Barboni faces off against Ronnie having just beaten the hell out of Harry Zim and Ronnie's like, well, you know, it was an open city. Well, I just closed it. Like, like lifts up his shirt to reveal the handle of this. And Ray both gets to be like, oh, you must be a, uh, one of them quick draw artists with your, uh, the way that you got your gut ducked way down in your belt. And you're like, like that's something Chili never would have said, but it's so great that it, for the yeah. audience that it's in this movie. So great that there's a character like Ray Bones who is too full of himself and too full, like full of the need to be respected in the way that he feels like he needs to be respected, but is also capable of like actual sort of mob level violence. And in this case, to be, you know, mm-hmm. taken out on a character that we find unlovable in sort of the extreme. Well, and his his own, um, <clears throat> you know, in that kind of beautiful opening framing sequence, when he's asking his boss for permission to, you know, take action against Chili Palmer, and he says, you know, he disrespected us, and his boss says, no, he disrespected you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or he doesn't respect you. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it's like there's you you get a sense of why, you know, that this, you know, it's a. Uh, Knowing the worth of your tools, I guess, is uh, <laughs> yeah. maybe the, the, yeah. the sort of mob virtue, um, you know, is what, what is, you know, I have, I have a array bones here. What is, you know, for what tasks is this suited? It's kind of an awful way to, to look at the world. If you think <laughs> it's true. It's true. I think like if we're just talking to talk about mob movies sort of in general, that like this is. Ray Bones is played for comedy here, but this is also like the central trope of like once somebody is made or once somebody is in the organization, then then they have the power to wound the organization. So many mob movies and so much actual yeah. sort of mob drama is like people 
failing to hold up their like whatever personal foibles getting in the in the way of things and like exposing tons more people to legal vulnerability and whatever you know if we're looking at things from an insider mom perspective i guess you know the the old like henry hill needs to sell coke bring sure. down you know whatever good fellas yeah yeah, it's interesting. I mean, again, you know, the character of Chili Palmer is just so universally beloved, right? I mean, but it's because he operates with a degree of respect. Just getting back to this point about respect. I mean, so, you know, Ray Bones um, doesn't show respect to the people around him. And we might imagine that that's the beginning of the, you know, the tension between him and Chili Palmer. We don't see where the tension begins, but we do see in the early part of the, 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 the film and the opening scenes, actually, um, some evidence of that, you know, just kind of disregard, disrespect. Um, and we get the sense that, you know, Chili is, as I believe, you know, Andy said earlier, just loved by by everyone right i mean you know uh it's the the casino uh owner it's um you know uh the the rock star who is uh uh martin weir's current uh partner uh who knew him from back in the day and you know he was the only guy who didn't hit on me right at the club right i mean he's just like this this kind of and it's 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 again it's this kind of this 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 picture of the you know the mobster with the heart of gold but he's just this kind of beloved character because of what he gives to others right it's um he he doesn't demand respect he starts by offering respect and as a result he's often receiving respect from others right um when he's talking uh to the dry cleaner what's his name again leo, leo. devoe right yeah. um he just tells him plainly, look, that's, that's, that's not who you are, right? Uh, you're lucky to have gotten this far. You've been making stupid decisions. Let me, let me, let me, let me help you out here, right? I'm gonna, this is what I'm gonna do with the money, uh, that you're too stupid to hold on to, right? And it's, and you get, again, the sense that it's, you know, it's not personal. He's not trying to hurt anybody. Uh, uh, he's, you know, he's just calling, Calling it as he sees it, uh, in a way, um, trying to be respectful, uh, through these difficult, difficult decisions. And I think that's another one of the real sort of contrasts between him and a character like, uh, like Bones, who, uh, because of his insecurity is demanding that he be respected, right? He's, he's, he's denigrating others. He's, uh, uh, condescending towards them because of his own, uh, insecurities. And we just don't get that from Chili Palmer and, um, and people respond to him positively because of it being an adult i appreciate two things uh about what you just said and about chili palmer's character that i had no way of sort of understanding when i was watching this uh as a teenager not no way of understanding but like it certainly didn't resonate as much as it does right now the first is like you know i have uh i have i have a a, a little brother who took sort of the opposite for a large period of his sort of like adolescence and late adolescence uh an opposite take on the issue of respect from Chili Palmer, the idea that like mm. that that first somebody gives me respect and then I return it is how this is uh, going to be, which is uh, 
a parsimonious way to live. So like the idea that like Chili Palmer is going to start with this gesture of openness that he doesn't have to feel terribly threatened by because of, again, the potential for violence and the confidence in who he is, et cetera, turns out to open a lot of doors. And the other big thing that this movie doesn't make a big deal of, one of the things that I love about what this movie depicts is how many interactions are just nothing interactions in our day-to-day lives. Like how often we have to spend time with people that we may never see again, or that we might, or that we don't see all that often in order to sort of like get through our day and get our jobs done. And like unfailingly, the people who are spending these little snippets of time with Chili Palmer, like enjoy that time. He makes them feel safe. He like leaves them, he like maybe whatever. He says only what he needs to say. And no more. He's not a burden on anybody. He's not trying to, unless he needs to, he's not trying to to be looked at, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. He's not, he's just like, he is just a benign presence in these little interactions that he has. But so to, uh, just on this, just these like s- small moments, right? I mean, just one moment that just leaps to mind for me is the first interaction that he has uh, with Martin Weir. Uh, he calls Martin Marty. Right. He says, Marty, look, it's a great film. It's it's a great script or something like this. And uh, Martin Weir says, Martin. Right. He holds up a finger and he says, it's Martin. And then they keep talking. And then the next time that uh, Chili Palmer addresses him, he calls him Martin. In fact, through the rest of the film, he calls him uh, Martin. Right. It's just one of these small moments in which you see that. You know, someone told him the boundary, right? Someone said, look, you know, it does, it does a lot of things, right? So on the one hand, it shows us that this character, uh, of Martin Weir, you know, is this kind of pretentious actor. He, you know, prefers one name to another, sure. But the more important thing, I think, is that it shows that Chili Palmer is a person who will, you know, approach you with respect, right? It's hard to imagine, uh, Ray Bones doing the same thing, right? If someone were to tell Ray Bones, hey, actually, it's it's Martin, not Marty, right? It would have been uh, an invitation for for verbal abuse, right? Uh, to to sort of assert himself. <laughs> exactly, 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 right. exactly, exactly, right? But, but Chili is not that person, right? Chili just, you know, he takes it. He doesn't make a big deal about it. It's not a big moment in the film, uh, but he, um, you know, he 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 brings the the foundational respect of addressing the person as they want to be addressed, right? And that that's just a, a another thread throughout the film that I think establishes Chili Palmer as uh, this kind of uh, yeah, this 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 character who is reaching out to others uh, in small moments in ways that then lead to some really big. Um, uh, benefits uh, for him and his aspirations. So we've got Chili Palmer as this, um, you know, he, he cuts against the kind of the culture. He cuts against the mainstream of the the systems in which he, in you know, in, in, inhabits. Um, you know, he's he's clearly the mobster who's not like the other mobsters. You know, goes to um, uh, Los Angeles to you know, and is the you know, kind of cuts through the, you know, the, the, how things should be of, you know, how you make your career in Hollywood. Um, you know, and so I, I, I think I, I'm always kind of interested in the way that, you know, movies or, or, you know, other, you know, narratives or cultural items sort of exalt, um, uh, you know, exalt alternate ways of, of being, you know, that aren't, you know, the sort of, um, uh, the kind of structured, rule-bound, procedural, um, 
you know, first this, 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 and then you do this, you know, uh, kind of order of uh, the way that uh, so much of, you know, the, the way the world is. And the, I guess the question that, that, um, that is just, I'm trying to articulate is uh, to what is, to what does Chili Palmer allow himself to be accountable? Like what, what holds mm. him to account? Who is he? What communities is he accountable to? Like what's, you know, we've sort of identified he's got this virtuous, um, you know, kind of code of honor quality. Well, what, like, how do you articulate what that code is? You know, how, mm. what, what keeps him from just being this sort of amoral shark who swims against the current to get what he wants and to get it how he wants it? It's a really good question. I wonder if where that comes out in the film, is it the, like, the only person who sort of articulates a community's mores to him is that guy in the opening scene who comes back periodically to be like, well, you can't do this because Momo, blah, 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 blah. And then it's going to be a whole right. thing and Momo's going to get pissed and blah, 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 blah. So like you have this guy telling Chili how it is, but outside of that. So like one of the, one of the, one of the things that the movie sort of plays with is that like Chili goes on this errand from Miami to Las Vegas and then from Las Vegas to, uh, to Los Angeles and he's just, you know, on the frontier effectively. It, like he's in this sort of like space of self-making. I mean, Ray Bones is the one who calls LA an open city by which I assume he means it's not controlled by one particular mob organization or another, but like, that's a, that's just a very good question, Andy. I don't know. I don't know exactly the answer unless unless it is simply to be like he is he's not exactly accountable to a community he is constantly sort of popping out in and out of into and out of a whole bunch of like little micro communities in like which show up in like very specific individual instances and he's trying to figure out how to be like his other directedness is such that he's sort of trying to na navigate this in each individual instance but once you reduce something like a community to a micro community that consists of a single instance are you even talking about a community anymore you know well i mean i think i mean my answer to the question and i don't know if this uh holds up through the narrative of the film but it seems right to me so i'll offer it as a, as an option but it seems to me that chili is um is accountable to only those rules that um, uh, for which the penalty for breaking them is the end of the game. That so. So what I mean by that is, you know, yeah, he's sort of breaking rules, but they aren't the big rules, right? He's not, you know, he's not going to actually, he's not going to kill Ray Bones, right? Um, killing Ray Bones would would end the game. Uh, uh, by which I mean to say, you know, the structure that he's in, like, uh, after the death of Momo, he sort of works for Ray Bones effectively, right? Um, he's not going to, uh, you know, get arrested, um, uh, or more to the point, he's not going to be convicted of anything, right? Um, he's, you know, he, he talks about how he's, he's got a clean record. Um, so, I don't know if it's for him is so much about, or at least my interpretation is that for him, it might not be so much about, uh, 
an allegiance to a community, um, maybe he is thinking about relationships more broadly. Like what, which relationships, um, you know, do I need to maintain? How do I keep, uh, you know, uh, positive regard, uh, in the relationships in which I, uh, find myself enmeshed. Um, but it feels to me that his, his, uh, his bright line distinction is between those rules that can be broken while the game continues and those rules, the breaking of which, uh, cause an end, uh, to the continuation of the game. Yeah. And I, um, <clears throat> I apologize for raising a question for which I did not have a uh, <laughs> clear answer. I'd be a lousy no, that's, those are the best. But. Those are the best kinds. Yeah, those are <laughs> philosophers love those. But um, no, I uh, you know, and I, I I think you know, there's something um, you know. I think just to maybe go out on a little bit of a limb, you know, there's something in Chile's you know intuition or you know, he sees the opportunity, the, you know, the opportunity that's presented himself with, you know, this sort of, you know, sequential springboard of, uh, of events that propel him to Los Angeles. And, you know, not only does he see the chance, I think, to kind of be his own person, um, but he also sees the, the chance to do something generative. You know, he's, he's mm. you know, there's this sort of, um, you know, he wants to bring something into the world instead to, to kind of escape this life of, um, you know, just being a criminal middleman. Um, and literally a taker, a collector. Yeah. You know, and they, there's this, um, you know, to, to, I think that, that generative drive is maybe at the heart of it. And that what makes him, you know, unique in the sort of, uh, world is or is sort of the purity of that drive, but then also the you know the quality of not uh, not sacrificing relationships. You know, never in a million years is he going to threaten somebody's kid. Um, right. You know, he's, he's yeah. not going to kill somebody in cold blood. Um, yeah. You know, we kind of get these um, these things laid out for us. You know, and he's not. Um, yeah. And so I, I, that's kind of. You know, but this this sort of quality of you know, you know, giving in a, in a way like giving birth to himself by you know being part of making something bigger in relationship with others. Um, mm. you know, that might be that might be kind of where I where I come down on on the, that accountability question. That so yeah. your your invocation of the fact that he wouldn't threaten somebody's kid is really striking and brings up like one of the major contrasts in the movie. I mean. One of the things, you know, we've cited the line before where Chili's like, is this the way you guys do business out here? Is this like like the utter sort of shock at the sort of slovenliness? But there is something so grasping in the way that other people are going after stuff that <clears throat> I, either because of Chili's sort of expertise or comfort with improvisation or whatever he doesn't sort of have to do, but also like the fact that he wouldn't threaten somebody's kids isn't, doesn't even seem to arise from some sort of like moral red line for him. Like I wouldn't, it's not that like I would never do that or like that conscious thought has ever occurred to him or that's not how I read it. It's just that like, that's not 
how he would go about getting somebody to want to do the thing that he wants them to do. It like, it doesn't like, I don't, it's not a, is it planned? Does, does Chili, do Chili and Bear have a plan to off Bo Catlett at the end of that? Or does Bear act on his own? So I, I read, I I read, I read Bear as acting on his own. Me too. And, and I read uh, Chili Palmer as intuiting or reading the situation to know what's happening, right? Because yes. when Karen Flores, you know, takes out the gun and, and aims it effectively at Bear, and Bear says, you know, what are you doing? And and Chili says, what are you doing? I, I think they're on the same page without words having to have been spoken, right? Like, uh, Chili doesn't need it to be made explicit, to know what's happening, right? He, he, he's the sort of person who can feel that Bear is pulling the punches, or even if Bear's not pulling the punches, he's the sort of person who can tell, okay, there's a, there's a, there's an angle here, uh, that you're working. There's so, also something yeah. like, like when Bear is like, just bring him out, like we can bring him over to the railing, we can, we can do him right here. Like that's so out of character for anything that that's Bear right. has said so far. It's, it's out of character for like their relationship. That, that might be a way of tipping him off. I read it, I read it the same way. And that's like a, you know, Bo Catlett very menacingly holds Bear's daughter on his lap and his, you know, whatever, uh, in order to try to make Bear do what he wants. And Chili Palmer doesn't have anything in mind when he's like, well, tell me some of the movies that you were in. And yet here's the payoff from uh, that particular thing. So like, that's an interesting the idea of like cultivating relationships, it's not exactly non-utilitarian to be like, you're not exactly, I guess you just really can't see where the line is between like treating people as ends in themselves and treating them as potential sort of use. It's just like by virtue of seeming at least genuinely interested in uh, somebody else's life, it turns out that, you know, in a life or death situation, they might want to help you out. But this happens for, for, for Chili in a number of, uh, moments in the film, right? I mean, so you get the sense that, that, you know, Chili's the sort of person who is making friends on his way up and has many friends who are going to help him on his way down, right? So, um, the character of Nicole, who is now Nikki, right? The, you know, Martin Weir's, uh, current partner who Chili knew from, you know, the old days in, in Miami. I mean, you get the sense that, you know, the fact that he was kind to her back then granted him some access that he wouldn't have had otherwise in this moment, right? So, he, he gets some benefit. Um, you know, you also get the sense that, you know, in the beginning of the film when um, – or towards the beginning of the film when uh, – uh, Ray Bones uh, comes into the uh, into the barber shop and he's got this other guy, uh, you know, and uh, sort of as muscle – uh, working with him, Chili sort of talks to this guy and he's like, what are you doing, man? You could do so much better than this. What's what's going on? And he's like, well, you know, can't if, if you don't speak Spanish these days, uh, you end up working for guys <laughs> like this, right? Um, but again, like that creates for, for, for Chili a type of safety. Like he knows that this guy doesn't want to rough him up. It's not actually, he's just kind of like playing the part, right? And there's something there that I think is really interesting uh, for the character of, of Chili Palmer in for this entire film because, um, as uh, was mentioned earlier, 
the film is also trying to, you know, draw the audience's attention to parts of the film uh, industry that you might not always think about. The person who's a bit player in this kind of B-movie, Karen Flores. The person who's the stunt man in, you know, a bunch of films and you never knew his name, etc., etc., right? Uh, the character of Bear. But by the end of the film... Um, you know, these people become producers and stunt coordinators for films and, um, they, they do achieve a type of, um, uh, success. Um, and we recognize the, the dignity of these kind of, uh, thankless labor jobs earlier on. And Chili's the sort of person who, you know, uh, you know, who, who says, says hello and thank you, uh, to people who others might consider to be quote unquote the help, uh, or unimportant. And, you know, again, just to give that contrast, Ray Bones is definitely not that sort of person. Like you get that scene where Bones is going to get a taxi, right? The taxi is like two feet away from him and he stands where he stands and he signals to the taxi you know drive up 2 feet so i can get into the to, into the car right again uh treating people and then the way that he treats the you know the hired driver he denigrates and uh demeans the person right again uh chili is this kind of uh you know hero of the working class uh and it uh of the working class person uh and it pays off again and again I'm really trying to find an angle to work in the uh, the WGA writers' strike in this. I literally yeah. was thinking exactly the same thing. It's funny, so like, yeah, but I mean, that's I, right. Maybe it's just to say that like this movie is not about the David Zaslavs of the world. This movie is not about the Bob Igers of the world. You know, this is exactly this is really a, sort of a, a um, you know, it's like this is this is about the people doing the work. I will say I like I have Absolutely. a way to bring in the uh, WGA strike uh and and here it is. So like one of the things that you just mentioned Winston is the is the way that like all of the people that Chili treats as people who are B-movie actors who are uh stunt men who've been in a lot of stuff but you wouldn't know them blah blah blah. They sort of they rise up to the level of producers and stunt coordinators and stuff like that. One of the reasons that the uh one of the stated reasons that the WGA uh workers are striking is precisely because of what streaming has done to the ladder between like essentially gig work and higher like more secure better paying positions essentially like writers used to have to be on set all the time for like these 23 episode seasons they would work with all of the other people in the business and end up getting producer credits and that was the way up and now they're just in a room writing literally writing scripts and that's it they don't interact with any part of the business so yeah it's simultaneously like and in the fantasy them just the, for uh, the ceos and the vps <clears throat> oh sorry derek no go ahead go ahead well i was i just was gonna add to what you were saying that in the fantasies of the ceos and the vps uh all they need now is chat gpt and um you know script sorted Right, exactly. Yeah. I mean, the other big thing yeah. that I'll say about this with respect to the WGA strike. So, like, uh, while Chelsea and I were living in Puerto Rico for a couple of years, one of our, our great friends who lived down the beach uh, from us was a, like, was one of these people who worked in film and TV. Puerto Rico has, or had at the time, I'm not sure if this is still the case, like, they would give tremendous tax subsidy is to film productions to come in and do stuff. And so you constantly had like, uh, 
people who lived on the island full time uh, would frequently be working for movies in one capacity or another as stunt people or whatever. Uh, our friend had come from our friend is an accountant for movie productions, like the behind the scenes, behind the scenes uh, people. She has to go or she very often has the option to be on location wherever things are being uh, mm. filmed and shot. And so she's traveled all over the world and they are very generous in, in sort of like giving her a room and a car while she's there and all this kind of stuff. But like hearing from her how this, uh, you know, she works long, thankless hours, et cetera, et cetera, uh, has come into contact with some very uh, famous people, some of whom are really cool and, uh, and treat people like people and other who others of whom are not, but like, there's such a vast world behind all of the like sort of filmic productions that we spend our time talking about on this uh, podcast. And so like to see a character like Chili Palmer uh, respond to uh, people who have to work more than one job because they're at that particular rung in the uh, film and TV business is really heartening. And that's what the uh, WGA strike is about. Union is strong. That's right. That's right. I was literally. Thinking I wonder. Of, go ahead. Go ahead, Winston. No, no. I was. Well, I was just going to say. I mean, I'm just going to return to a question that uh, I now am beginning to think of as my trademark question. But um, you know, if there were a remake of this of this film in the present moment, or if we were to take up some of the themes here, I'm just curious what you guys think that might look like. On the one hand. You know, this film was kind of marketed, at least in my recollection, marketed as, um, you know, drawing some connections between, uh, you know, the mob and, uh, the film industry. The sequel, you know, that we don't talk about, uh, may have been trying to say some similar things about, uh, the record business. Um, as I was watching, rewatching the film, uh, you know, for this recent rewatch, I was thinking, you know, what would a, I guess maybe in this case now, what would a, a third film in this series look like? Or what would it be like to sort of tug on some of these threads in the present moment? And my mind first went to, um, to tech, uh, as, uh, an interesting kind of connection, right? Thinking about what would it be like for a mobster to get into the tech world? Uh, and to kind of uh, showcase uh, some of what's going on there and um, and so forth. That could be interesting. I thought about uh, politics. Uh, I think, Derek, you mentioned, uh, you know, Veep and, and so forth. And, These are literally the first uh, that two also... places my mind went. <laughs> Say again? These are Those are literally the first two places my mind went. I was like, yeah. tech, oh no. Okay, yeah. What about like Tech George and Santos? politics, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know if I have a third... But, but like it, it increasingly feels to me in my sort of cynicism, like it could be practically anything at this point. Sure. It's just a, yeah. a bunch of sort of like posturing and shifting money around and hoping that uh, if you make believe hard enough, you come out, you know, having reified the thing that you're trying to do. Yeah, I mean, without without revealing too much about the world I, I I live in, I could imagine academia also being a part of this, right? I mean, uh, I don't know again, I'm just reminded of, 
of 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 the line that was mentioned earlier, right? I mean, you just write the thing and put the commas in later, and uh, some of these words aren't even the right words, and um, yeah, there's yeah. Anyway, I, I will tell you just before I, Andy is about to jump in, but just before that, speaking of the academia thing, I have literally there is a very famous uh, philosopher who will not be named. Who whose advice to one of our colleagues was essentially like, listen, man, you just get a hotel room for a weekend and you bang out 45,000 words. And the secret is, if you just publish enough, the university just assumes you're a big deal. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter the quality of what you're... And, like, people sure. listen to this person. Like, they take these ideas very seriously. And I'm like, I don't know that he takes wow, these ideas very yeah. seriously. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know enough to know exactly who you're subtweeting, but uh, my my head. I hope no is one that it's does. Cornell West. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Definitely not. Let me take that up. He he. Presidential candidate. Absolutely. Uh, Cornell West. Yeah. He's ta- oh god. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um. Anyway, what? Uh, just to backtrack myself a little bit. Um, what, what I was going to say is that I kind of feel like um, I kind of feel like that movie was made this uh, this past year, and I think it was uh, titled Glass Onion. Oh, mm, interesting. I think, I mean, yeah, I think this is sort of like the groove that that Ryan Johnson is finding uh, finding for himself is like you know these um, you know this sort of uh, satir- you know, satirical skewering, but you know, also with with some affection. Um, you know, and and also just kind of the. Um, I, I I was thinking about uh, about uh, Knives Out and Glass Onion as I watched this, and just in in that quality of like, you know, man, there's a lot of movie in this movie. Uh, yeah, right. yeah, in a good way. The tight plotting. The well-drawn characters who whose drawing out takes place in a very economical fashion, the sense that you're watching several different people, several different people who are the heroes of their own stories sort of come into contact with one another in a way that doesn't feel that doesn't feel small. It's so weird. Like how that when when Winston brought that up at the very beginning of this uh episode, it's so odd and skillful how that happens how like in this movie you know we are clearly aligned with chili palmer like he is the he's the one we're Mm. following through this kind of thing but everybody interacts with like there's enough of their world like not too much never more than absolutely necessary but like there's enough of their world that is given that we understand that they are not just uh you know bit players that they that they are and in glass onion it's just that like we whatever Benoit Blanc is sort of like our avatar, but we don't, we also inhabit sort of like everybody else's stories get fleshed out in a layered fashion. Yeah. 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 So then, uh, we, we, we can wrap up in one of a a couple of ways. I feel like, first of all, uh, there's the jokey way in which like I, I need to offer, 
Andy the opportunity to read this in a Christological sort of uh, fashion somehow. Like, how does theology come into this? That's a that's that's a joke. I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> the better way is like in a movie that is this much fun. Uh, as you rewatched it, what what was your what was what was the favorite little bit of this movie for you? Both gentlemen on my Zoom are pondering. Yeah, I'll say I'll I'll just I'll name two things um, that are that you know. So one was already mentioned. The second, not quite mentioned, but the the first thing that was a favorite uh, for me was just the way that Chili dealt with Bear um, uh, in the restaurant. Um, it's this moment that I remember watching the first time that I saw the film thinking, well, you know, clearly, right. Uh, Bear is, you know, he's got the high ground, uh, as it were, they're on a set of stairs. Uh, he, he, he aims to do, uh, to, you know, bring some harm to, um, uh, to Chile, but Chile is able to, to turn that situation around in a way that, you know, again, just to, in the way that we've been describing, um, just connects with, with Bear's humanity. Like it's, it's, there's never, there's never any hard feelings. Uh, and I just appreciated seeing that. And then again, in the parking lot later on when he, uh, kind of, you know, beats, beats Bear up. And then by the end of the scene, he's kind of crouched down next to Bear. He's like, are you all right? So, so what, what movies have you been in? Right? No, no, no. Tell me, tell me. I want to know. Um, there's just something really endearing about that. And then the other thing that is a favorite aspect of the film for me, is when we get to the end of the film, um, and Chili is the producer of the film that's getting made, the Get Shorty film that, um, that we're watching, in fact. Um, Karen Flores, uh, is, is next to him, and she is clearly a partner, right? Like, um, you get in the, in the, uh, uh, in the film within the film, you know, there are women in tight dresses with, you know, short, uh, hemlines and the rest, but, uh, Karen Flores is wearing a suit alongside Chili Palmer. And I don't know, in 1995, I mean, yes, now in 2023, it's great to see, but good to see in 1995 that at the end of this film, uh, you know, she's not, relegated only to the romantic interest she's uh, a person who you know is a partner in the um uh in the production um yeah along those lines real quick before uh andy jumps in uh which i keep doing this on you know my apologies but like the the way that the way that the karen chili love story comes together is also really tastefully done in in Along those sorts of lines, you see Chili is really interested in her for the work that she has done. He is a, he's attracted to her because of her sort of uh, her artistic things, which she sort of wants to denigrate. But like he is not willing to do so. She sees him in that moment of vulnerability. Later on, they're in bed together, but there's no like there's no playing up of them like they're going to get together and then there's going to be a sex scene or something like that. It's just that like. They have found each other and then yeah. we're like, they are just together. That's so that fits with that. Andy, sorry. Mm-hmm. No, totally. Um, <clears throat> and I, I, I just, you know, for me, it was, uh, 
as a, as a big minivan proponent, um, I, I just, I love all the minivan love. <laughs> um, sure. It's, you know, they're great vehicles. They, they get the job done. Um, they have doors but, that open uh, remotely. Yeah. The, uh, you know, and just, you know, it was, it's just kind of sweet the way Danny DeVito's character is sort of, um, you know, kind of uh, mapping himself onto Chili Palmer as a, as a character. But, you know, I think I just, um, there's too many things to sing loud, but I think it's just Barry Sonnenfeld's directing. Um, it's just the, 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 the cinematography is great. The, you know, but the directing is just like the scene where, uh, where Chili does the air, the fake out with the airport lockers to fake out the DEA guys. Um, you know, I just, I'm, I'm such a sucker for that kind of thing. And I, it was just so well done. And, um, there's just a degree of, uh, of just really, you, you, you watching the work of a craftsman at the, at the height of their craft. And that's, it just is uh, a joy to, to kind of experience that. Mm. I will say that like my, my favorite moment on this rewatch was something that somehow I hadn't noticed. Uh, it's, it's the tightness of the plotting in general that I really loved. Like the directing is wonderful. The photography is incredible. Uh, but like there was the moment at the very end in which uh, Karen's scream ends up playing sort of a decisive plot point. And that's something that like was mentioned as like the only thing she can do well, like much earlier on. And, you know, when I was younger and maybe watching it with Andy, like eight times on consecutive weekends in the theater or whatever, like I somehow just never noticed that little like plot element. And so that was a, that was really a pleasurable thing for me on this rewatch to be like, Oh, there's, there's more to this movie than, than just the fact that it is cool. And that's maybe that, you know, maybe that's kind of the joy of the crafts, the craftsmanship, the craftspersonship. Yeah. Like, you know, the movie show, you know, it, the, the movie walks you through what it's going to do. It's, you know, it's like the, the magician who says, I'm going to do the trick. Here's exactly how I'm going to do it. Now I'm going to do it. And you're going to be exactly as amazed uh, as if I hadn't told you how it worked. Um, yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's this beautiful, like, you know, like the scream is like, you know, it is a Chekhov's gun thing. It's like. Mentioned in Act One, goes off in Act Three. You know, I mean, yeah. it's like, yeah, you know, it, it, like somehow, you know, follows all the rules, but you know, in in the following, transcends them. Um, it's, it's <laughs> a beautiful movie. Well said. Well, you guys. I have been thinking this whole time about like which of these wonderful like little sayings that emerge in here is going to end up being in the tagline for our, this episode. But I guess I will have sure. to go back and like re-listen during the editing. It has been so much fun catching up with you guys after uh, a, what since April now. <clears throat> I'm looking forward yeah. to the, the next one. Thank you guys so much for taking this time. Yeah, it's fun as always. Thank you. And I say this in all sincerity. Fuck you, fuckball. and that's our show tons of gratitude to andy and winston for spending another evening with us subscribe listeners wherever you're listening and if you've got time leave us a rating and a review it's summertime which is movie going season so we'll be back with a new episode in no time at all until then for all of us here at the point 10 podcast i'm Derek gottlieb and we'll see you next time (laughs) 